Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. And Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears, hearts to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start with a question today, and here's the question on the screen. How is your walk with Jesus? Take 10 seconds. Have a think about it. Maybe turn to the person next to you. How was your walk with Jesus? Tell the person next to you how it's going. I'll give you 10 seconds. Go. How do you, how do you answer this question? I mean, how do you, when you get a question like this, and when I meet with our leaders of the church, I often ask this question, so how's your walk with Jesus? I mean, how, how do you answer that? Do you think it's around your Bible reading? Is it around your prayer life? Is it around how you're listening to God's voice? Is it around obedience? Is it around stepping out in faith? Maybe loving others or enduring when things are tough? Or maybe it's how, how close you feel. And then how do you measure it? Do you measure it out of 10? Well, today I'm an 8 out of 10. Last week I was a 6 out of 10. Three, do you give a number to it? Or do you compare yourself to where you were? Or do you compare yourself with others and say, well, they're a 10, so therefore I've got to be a, a 6? How do you even um, measure it? And I wonder how your walk with Jesus is affected by the circumstances of life. If you're going through a great season in life, is your walk with Jesus doing really, really well? Or because you're going so well, you slack off in your walk with Jesus? And the reverse can be true. In a difficult season, some of us really pursue God in difficult seasons. And other times we go, no, thanks, God. I'm not interested in you. How's your walk with Jesus today? Today I want to begin a, a series on 1 Thessalonians. And over the next few months, whenever I speak, I'm going to take you through 1 Thessalonians. And in the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Paul celebrates the Thessalonians' walk with Jesus. He talks about it in three ways. He says that their faith in action is great, that their love in action and that their hope in action is just doing incredibly well. And that's how he celebrates their walk with Jesus. Because their faith is lived out, their love is lived out, and their hope is lived out. So what I want to do is uh, tackle this text. We're going to look at three verses today. That's all we're going to do. Because I want to give you some context, some understanding. And, and I'm going to challenge you on these three things as we come to the end. Is that okay for today? Good. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the first three verses. Here we go. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. Now, whenever you're reading a, um, a, a, a book in the Bible, it's really important to understand what you're reading. And the first thing you need to ask yourself is, well, who's writing the letter? And it tells us in the verse 1 that it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, the commentators say it's most probably Paul writing and Timothy and Silas are with him. And they're most likely in Corinth when they write this letter. And, it's, and it starts out in the normal way that letters were written at the time. When, when I, we, we, we write a letter, we write, or write an email, a letter. What's a letter? When we write an email today, 
hey, Voltaire, hope you're doing well, blah, 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 Nathan. Well, that's not how they wrote emails, letters at the time. It was the author first, Nathan, to Voltaire, oh, supreme one. (laughs) Um, I uh, I, want to speak a blessing over your life, speak a blessing, and then hope you're doing well, and then going on with the rest of the letter. And that's what we see here in this passage. It was a normal way that letters were written at the time. Who is Paul? Well, Paul was the, was the main dude in the uh, New Testament other than Jesus. He's the guy who wrote Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. I think that's what he wrote. And he may have wrote Hebrews, we're unsure. He was a Jewish religious leader. Um, and we're told in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, beginning of Acts chapter 8, there's, a, there's, a, there's this Christian named Stephen who is sharing his faith to the religious leaders, and they take massive offense at what he says. And these people picked up rocks and killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And it was Paul who gave, who was once called Saul, who gave approval for his death. So this Jewish religious leader used to have Christians killed. And on his way to a place called Damascus to arrest Christians and put them in prison, Jesus turns up to him. He has this radical encounter with Jesus. And he goes from persecuting the church to promoting the church. It's an incredible story. He goes on missionary journeys, plants churches, and writes letters back to the churches he planted. That's Paul. Who's Silas? He was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And after the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Silas go out on mission work together. Timothy is a young believer who Paul finds along the way. Paul trains him, takes him on mission with him, and then sends him out to lead churches. 1 and 2 Timothy in the New Testament is written to this guy named Timothy. So that's who's writing the letter. The next question is, who is it written to? And then in verse 1 it says, to the church of the Thessalonians. That's who it's written to. Now the word church is the Greek word ecclesia, which is a gathering for a purpose. It wasn't a Jewish word, a Hebrew word. It was a Greek word. It was, it was a word that the Romans used. And it was the word that, that our Jesus chose specifically when he says to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Because Jesus wanted to say, this church thing is unique. It's special. It's, it, it's a gathering of people for a purpose. That's the, word, that's the word church. Church is not just a social club. It's not just gain lots of knowledge club. We are here for a purpose. And where is this church? It's in Thessalonica. Here's a map. So it's a little bit small, I'm, I'm sure. But on Paul's missionary journey, he went to Thessalonica. It was, up in, um, it was up in, at the time, Macedonia. That's what it was known as at the time. And it was founded in the 4th century uh, BC by one of Alexander the Great's officers. It was super important in the Roman Empire. It was a place that they went through with trade. And Paul, and it was the second most influential city in that area at the time. Notice then how Paul describes this church. He says, to this gathering for a purpose in Thessalonica. And then we got in. What's their purpose? Why does this gathering exist? Well, it's around this next bit, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in John, John 15, Jesus talks around the vine and the branches. And we are brought in. We are in him. When you become a Christian, you belong to him. You are part of his family, that you become part of who God is. You are, you are, 
You are, you are joined with him as he puts his spirit in you. And that's what this gathering was about. It was all about God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Next question, why was it written? Are you, are you, are you hanging in there? This is, all hopeful, this is all helpful information for you to understand faith in action, love in action, hope in action. Why was it written? Well, we need to go back to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, I'm going to talk for a minute, then we'll read this text. In Acts chapter 17, it's where we see Paul going with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, the guy who wrote Luke's gospel. And they go on this mission trip. I just showed you on the map the second, Paul's second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 13, he goes to Thessalonica. And there we're told that he goes to the synagogue. So it was a Roman city, and there were obviously Jews living in that city and converts to Judaism because they were able to have a synagogue, which is a pretty big deal. That was a place where the, where the Jews and converts to Judaism gathered. And Paul goes there on three consecutive Sabbaths, three consecutive, three consecutive Saturdays, and proves from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. At that, lots of Jews became Christians, but some got jealous. And this is where we pick the text up in verse 5. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Now, we read these scriptures, but let's just put it in perspective for the moment, right? There's a whole bunch of Christians, there's a whole bunch of people who were Jewish people who find out that Jesus is the Messiah. They commit their life to Jesus. Their life is radically transformed. They've, they are creating conflict with the other Jews in the community. They're starting to share their faith, and, and it affects the community so much that a riot begins. There's a mob that's rised up and they create a riot in the city. We've seen lots of that stuff on television over the last few years. It says they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd, verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Now that was treason. That was like their, their our life was in danger because they're saying there's another king, his name is Jesus. And they're, and, and they're saying that these Christians saying there's another king in order to get them in trouble. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was light, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Beria. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So Paul goes there with Silas and Timothy and Luke. They preach the gospel. These people get saved. And immediately, the community is thrown into turmoil. That these people who were Jews commit their life to Jesus, which creates tension with the other Jews. That they believed in the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. He was crucified. No, he's the one. He died and he rose from again. Just like it says in Isaiah 53. And it created this turmoil in the community. So much so that there was a riot. And these new Christians, hear this. These new Christians were brought before the city officials and accused of treason, which could have meant their life could have been killed because they were saying, Jesus is king, a greater king than Caesar. And they were threatened for their life. It was a massive deal for these new believers. Now, what we read next is that, as it says here, that Paul goes on 
And he goes, he goes south because there was a riot in the city. They were going to kill him. So they try to get out. He goes to Beria. And while he's in Beria, the Jews follow him. So he can't, Paul can't stay there either because they wanted to get after, they wanted to get Paul again. So Paul goes south again to Athens and stays in Athens. And he's so concerned for these new believers up in Thessalonica, he sends Silas back to this city Thessalonica and on to Philippi. And he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica for a season. Then after a while, Timothy and Silas go back through Athens and join Paul again in Corinth where it's believed that Paul wrote this letter, 1 Thessalonians, around 50 AD, which is most likely the second letter written to us. Most likely Galatians was written first, about 48, 49 AD, and 1 Thessalonians about 50 AD. So it's the uh, new writings of the Christian church. Now, if you're Paul in this situation, you're a father in the faith, you've just led these people to Jesus, and you've been with them for three weeks, they've committed their life to Jesus, and all of a sudden you've had to leave because your life is, you're, you're going to be killed. So you had to go, and he, and he goes, and, he, and I've told you where he's went. If you're poor, what do you do? You've got these brand new Christians that are under persecution. If you read 2 Thessalonians, the perse- persecution continues. What do you do? Well, firstly, you send people back, and he sent Timothy back and Silas back. But the next thing we see Paul do is that Paul prays. Look at what he prays in verse 2. He says this in his letter back to the Thessalonians. He says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mentioning you in our prayers. Now, why would Paul thank God for them? Because salvation is a work of God. Now, we can preach the message of Jesus to someone, but unless God is at work, the message just falls on deaf ears. It's just, just words. But as we preach the message of Jesus and we pray, God grabs that message. He opens people's hearts and that word is planted in people's hearts. And they respond to him. They say yes to him. And salvation is a work of God. It's a miracle of God. That's why he firstly thanks God for them. Because without God, there is no church in Thessalonica. But look at the second thing he does. And he says, and continually mentioning you in our prayers. Remember, they're under persecution, they're brand new believers, their faith is is new, it's easily rocky, but what does he do? He prays for them. Why does he pray? Because he knows the power of prayer. He knows the power of God's hand in people's lives. It is God who opens our hearts up to believe the message. It's God who leads us into truth. It's God who helps us to understand the scriptures. It's God who transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. It's God who fills us with the Holy Spirit and gives us gifts. God is the one who begins a good work in us and will see it to, what's the word? Completion. The best thing Paul could have done was to pray for them. Because as soon as God starts to work in someone's life, man, it is really, really beautiful. And friends, I reckon... We don't see the importance of prayer. Because if we would, how many people gather on a Tuesday night for our weekly prayer meeting? This isn't, this, isn't a, this, isn't a, this isn't a guilt trip. But this is a challenge for you to go, how important is prayer for you? Our vision nights when we're gathering, it was advertised in Life This Week. Are you going to be there and we're going to pray for our church and our community? You know, we can do the work of ministry. We can work our guts out. We can burn ourselves out doing all these things. But unless God is moving by His Spirit... 
Friends, it's just stuff in our own flesh. It's as God moves and his partners with us, we see incredible things happen. So let me challenge you to pray. To pray for the people in your world. To pray for your family. Because God can do far more than you can ever ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So that's why Paul prays. Because he knows what God can do in his life. Now let's now talk about the Thessalonians. How did the Thessalonians respond with all this persecution going on, with all this uncertainty, with this brand new faith threatened? How did they respond? Well, they respond in three ways. They respond with faith in action, love in action, and hope in action. Let's look at the text. And now I'm reading from the NIV, and I'm doing this because we're going to get a bit of... We're going to do a, a, a bit of nerd stuff today. Is, is that okay? If, that, if it hasn't been nerdy enough, it's going to get a bit more nerdy. Hang in there. Look at verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work. Everyone say work. work. Good. That's the wake you up. Produced by faith. Your, what's the word? Labor, prompted by love, and your endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the NIV version. Now, again... Not only are you, when you read a book of the Bible, do you need to know who's, um, who's writing it, who's it written to, what's the purpose of the letter, all that sort of stuff, but you need to understand what Bible you're reading. And let me say there are many different Bibles. There's a New American Standard Bible, which is really literal, and you've got the New Revised Standard Version. You've got the NIV, which is in the middle, which is around, yes, I want to be true to the text, but I want to help you understand it. And then you've got down the other end, you've got the Good News Bible, which is written for a 12-year-old, which isn't so much around... Let me give you word for word. The good news is around, let me tell you the meaning of the text. And then you go to something like the message, which is a person writing in their everyday language. So when you're reading the Bible, you need to know what Bible you're reading. And so the NIV, yes, it tries to translate it literally, but also when things are a bit tough to understand, it tries to give you the meaning of the text. Is that clear? Now let me show you what the ESV, which is more literal... Um, this is how the ESV translates this text from the Greek. He says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, that's different, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Your work of love is, work, is faith or work, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. What does that mean? Well, if you go to the commentators, the commentators explain it to say, exactly like the NIV has described it for us. And so the NIV says, remember before I got on Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. So NIV's not as literal, but gives you more of the meaning of the text. That's the nerd bit for today. Is that okay? Is that clear? And then as Paul describes... These three phrases, which the commentators think the NIV translated really, really well. He talks around two things as you read this text. Firstly, is the action. And the second thing is the motivation. Let's look at the action. He uses three words to describe the actions of the Thessalonians. Remember, we're talking around how they're responding to persecution. They've committed their life to Jesus. There, there are faith is threatened. How do they respond? Well, they respond in action. What are the three things? They work. They labor and they endure. Now, it doesn't say what their work looks like, but the commentators think that, he, that the work is most probably around Christian service, meaning sharing their faith, 
being generous to the poor. They're praying. They're encouraging others. They're using their spiritual gifts. Labor, the commentators say, is more likely around manual labor, like cooking meals, helping people get around for us in cars today, cutting grass, fixing houses, helping people. Obviously, it was different at the time, but more manual labor. And and the word endurance comes from the Greek word, a patient determination in the face of opposition. Hear that again? A patient determination in in the face of opposition. They are enduring even though they're being opposed because of their faith. Now notice, they were living out their faith. They were working, they were laboring, they were enduring. There was actions connected to their faith. You know, and, and I think many Christians today do the opposite of this. They have a, a, a passive faith. They have a, a private faith where they, where they are Christians, they know they're Christians, but no one else knows it. They are Christians, but it's all inward and between them and God, and there's no using of the gifts that God has given you, or serving in a church community, or offering what God has given you to others. Because if you're a fair income Christian, God has put stuff in you, not just for you, but for others. And even though these new believers are being persecuted for their faith, They are working, they are laboring, and they are enduring. That is their action. The second thing we see is their motivation. What's the motivation for action? It is faith, it is hope, and it is love. First motivation, faith in action. That's my title, faith in action. And the NIV translated, work produced by love. Sorry. Yes, thank you. Work produced by faith. You know, the thing about there's there's our two parts to faith. There's saving faith and there's living by faith. Saving faith is when you commit your life to Jesus, you recognize that you are a sinner and that Jesus has died for you, rose from the dead by, by you putting your faith in him, by him, by, by you asking to forgive you for your sin. That's why that's putting your faith in him, that's becoming a Christian, that's saving faith. But the second type of faith is living by faith where you do the things God wants you to do and you trust him to meet you, to guide you, to protect you, to do all the things that our God does. And this faith is a a motivator for them. Because I am saved, I'm going to see myself as God sees me. I'm going to see myself as forgiven. I'm going to see myself as chosen. I'm going to see myself as adopted in. And because of all that God has done for me, that's a springboard, that's a motivator for me to love people, to share my faith, to pray, to encourage, to do the works of service that God wants me to do. And as I do those things, I trust him to meet me, to carry me, to guide me. I trust him to walk with me, to empower me, to give me all I need to do the things that he wants me to do. That is faith in action. Here's a scripture. It says in James 2, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? If any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, if you are saved, there will be an outworking. You will live it out. 
Faith in action. The second thing is love in action. And Paul says, labor prompted by love. Jesus gives us this verse from John, it should be John chapter 13, not John 3. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, as a Christian, God has loved you. He's put his love into your heart. And our response is to love him and to love others. Our loving others is the motivator in the things that we do. Now, lots of people have wrong motivations in doing things in church life, in doing things for others. Let me give you some of these wrong motivations. Self-promotion. I want to get higher up the ladder, so therefore I'm going to serve people so everyone recognizes it, so I get the position I want. Wrong motive. It should be out of love. You want to be the center of attention. So I'm going to serve others, I'm going to love others in a fake way so that people notice me more, where it becomes all about me. Wrong motive. Maybe you're feeling guilty, so you're serving another. Wrong motive. Or maybe you're being forced. Wrong motive. Maybe your desire is to take advantage. This wouldn't happen at LifeGate Church, I'm sure. Maybe your desire is to take advantage of other people. Wrong motive. Maybe it's to gain favor for your own advantage. Wrong motive. Friends, our motive in serving people needs to be love. And that's what Paul celebrates with the Thessalonians. They had love in action. The final one for today, and as we come to the end of this message, Paul describes the endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope in action. Remember the Greek word for endurance? Patient determination in the face of opposition. They're being persecuted for their faith, but they're enduring. Why? Because of the hope that is in our Lord Jesus. Now, this is the theme that we see in the New Testament, this, this idea of hope in the New Testament. And when we see it, it's not some, I wish I get a Lamborghini, or I wish I get a million dollars, or I wish I'll have that girlfriend. Not that I want a girlfriend because I have an incredible wife. I wish, I wish, I wish. No, hope is, is a guarantee. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, a living assurance, a living something that is guaranteed for us. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is that hope? Here it is. In, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith is shielded by God's power unto the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What is our hope? It is eternity with Jesus. When this body fails, when I breathe my last, I go and be with him forever. And when he returns, he will give us this place that is never going to perish that's never going to spoil, that's never going to fade. It's an inheritance for me because I'm in Christ. For Marcelo, it's your inheritance, brother. For Henna, for Voltaire, this is your inheritance. We talk about inheritance when our people, when our parents pass or someone else passes. But as Christians, when we pass, we walk into an inheritance because of what Christ has done for us. And because these new believers knew that, they kept on going in their faith. When the hard times came against them, they continued to endure 
even under persecution, because they knew what was ahead of them. So as we come to the end of this message, first week it's been heavy today. I'm sorry if it's been heavy, but hopefully you've gleaned some stuff. Here's the challenge for you today. I started by asking you the question, how is your walk with Jesus? And I said, how do you, how do you measure it? Is it Bible reading? Is it prayer? How, is it how close you feel? Do you compare yourself with others? Do you scale it out of 10? How do you answer this question? Well, what we see in this text is Paul celebrates the Thessalonians' walk with Jesus. He celebrates their faith in action, their love in action, and their hope in action. They have faith in, they have saving faith in Jesus, and they're living by faith. They've been loved, and as a result, they are loving. And they are enduring because of the hope that is ahead of them, the, the assurance of eternity. So as we come to the end of this message, last question, what step do you need to take today? Are you living out your faith in action? Maybe you need to step out more. Maybe you're listening online or you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus. Today can be your day to commit your life to him. I'm going to invite the prayer team up here. And if at the end of this service, if you want prayer or you want to commit your life to Jesus, come, come and stand with one of the people who are praying. If you're watching online, click the prayer tab and someone will lead you in a prayer to commit your life to Jesus. The second one is around love. What's your motivation in serving others? Is it about you and what you can get out of it? Or is it, a, is it about a genuine love for people? And finally, in the difficulties of life, are you throwing off your faith, ignoring God, getting cranky with Him, or you are holding tight to Him because of the, because of the inheritance is ahead of, that, that is ahead of you in eternity? Take 30 seconds to pray to reflect, to consider, and then we'll close. Pray now. Father, we thank you for this brand new church of the Church of the Thessalonians. These brand new Christians that are going through a hard time and yet they're standing firm. May we be encouraged by their, by their faith, by their life. May we be people who live out our faith in you. May we be people who live out our love for you. May we be people who endure because of what eternity has for us. Father, I want to pray for every person who's watching this online, every person in the room. Father, I pray you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in us, that we would have greater faith, greater love, greater hope. Do your work in us, we pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. If you're watching online, thanks for being part of it. God bless you. It's a privilege to have you. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name is Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to support you, help you get connected, and find out how you can take your next steps. So why don't you head to lifegate.org.au slash online and we'd love to find out more about you and how we can serve you as a church. Thanks for checking out this message and we'll catch you soon.